Bye. Hello and welcome to First Flight, a Star Trek Enterprise rewatch podcast where we are watching and discussing each episode of Enterprise in succession. First Flight is a proud member of the Tricorder Transmissions Network. This is Commander Tucker of Enterprise. We've got some information you're going to want to hear. Hello, all you Enterprise fans. I'm your co-host, Abby. And I'm your co-host, Melanie. And today we are discussing two days and two nights. The teleplay for this episode was by Chris Black. The story was by Rick Berman and Brandon Braga. And it was directed by Michael Dorn. Woohoo! It first <laughs> aired on May 15th, 2002. But before we begin our discussion, we need to issue a read alert. Tactical alert. All hands to stations. There are potential spoilers ahead. We might end up talking about any part of the series at any time, so you've been warned. And now for a summary of the episode, here is my captain's log. Captain Starlog Supplemental. Okay, this is a quick summary for a very complicated episode, but two days and two nights. The crew finally takes shore leave on the planet of Ryza, and many varied adventures ensue. <laughs> All right. It's time to deploy our subspace amplifiers and get into this episode. All right, Melanie, let's start off with you this time. Okay. This is an interesting one, Abby. Yes. And in our cold open, we finally learn that we're heading to Ryza. And I really enjoy this shuttle scene of them heading over to Ryza with the banter in the shuttle with them being really real with each other. I mean... There is a chain of command, but they're all sharing their plans. So they're being very real with each other. And I have to ask you, Abby, is do you think that that helmsman is Rostov, the guy from Voxel? I think it might be him, but I, I'm not quite sure. You know, it looked like him. It was hard to tell without all the slime. I didn't see it credited anywhere. <laughs> so if anybody wants to look that one up and inform us, feel free, because I'm hoping they're keeping some of that continuity going on in there. That would be cool. I mean, it's nice that Archer is thinking about being the captain, that he feels badly about, you know, going and having fun and leaving the ship when other people can't go. That's our Archer thinking like that. I love when T'Pol says, Captain, you need a vacation. And one thing I did find a little interesting was that they drew lots in whatever way they did that. And a lot of the senior staff got chosen. <laughs> yeah, I thought that so. Too. I know that I'm just being snarky here, but that's the way it had to be for the episode. But a lot of them lucked out by getting chosen. Yeah, thank goodness for those uh, plots that need to occur, because otherwise we would have had one of our, our friends stuck up on the ship besides to Paul. One of the things that I like in yep. these opening scenes is the of, of course, this is me, the costuming. It's nice to see everybody in their off duty. It's neat to see Archer being the captain and still being treated like the captain, but he's wearing a pullover with like a little zipper. And 
I mean, Linda Park mm-hmm. is so exceptionally gorgeous in that red dress and in everything that she wears this episode. But it's nice to see her literally with her hair down and expressing a little bit more of that tropical loving Hoshi that we saw from the very beginning. And I have mm-hmm. to say, Travis's shirt. Wow, that is like the most early 2000s <laughs> shirt ever. So I was noticing that when the scene first came out, I'm like, oh, who's wearing that shirt? Oh, it's Travis. Oh, Travis. But, you know, at least we know he changed into his rock climbing outfit fairly quickly and and took off the eyesore shirt. But it's nice to see them all being a crew and really talking to each other like people who've been together for almost a year and who are excited to take a little break and who have varied interests. I really enjoyed that, too. And Abby, there is a lot in this episode that I do enjoy. It's interesting because there's parts I really like and parts that I don't care for very much. So it's going to be interesting to hear your thoughts. And since there are four subplots going on here, I think the easiest way for us to tackle this is to just take them one by one. What do you think? Perfect. Let's do it. Okay, up first. So regarding Archer's theme... Archer's theme. (laughs) So I would like to say, please book me a villa in Ryza. Oh my God, it's gorgeous. I love that with being on the water with the two moons in the background. And yes, if I book a villa in Ryza, I'm getting one with a telescope on the terrace. Thank you. Yep. I I want that as part of my package. That was absolutely beautiful. And I really enjoyed seeing Archer not on duty in his regular clothes, you know, as relaxed as he could be. And I liked seeing the real Jonathan Archer, the flirty, natural guy seeing this is what he's like in the real world when he, you know, meets someone new or things like that. I really enjoyed that, his facial expressions, how he interacted with Kayla. I liked that. How about you? Yeah, I liked that, too. I I liked seeing him more laid back, but you can still see the archer that we know. As soon as things get fishy later on, his face changes Mm -hmm. just the tiniest bit. And if you hadn't been watching him over the past bunch of episodes like we have, you wouldn't have noticed it. But he's a smart guy. And that shows in a lot of different ways here. It shows in how they interact, what they're talking about, how absolutely impeccably polite and gracious he is with her until she becomes a threat. And then he is still in control, but that politeness just vanishes. It's like, you know, a curtain comes down and he's like, "Mm -mm, this isn't happening. And that is so interesting to see within one episode, both ends of kind of him on his spectrum. And it's nice to see that contrast. And I also want to say I also am booking that villa, especially since all of the little buttons to open and close the doors are shaped like horgons, which just absolutely cracked me up when I noticed <laughs> it. Like You literally press a horgon every time you open and close your door. And that's just so Riza. The one thing I would have to say is I would ask for either a one story villa or to have a railing on my stairs because floating stairs like that that go up with no side rail just make me absolutely petrified that I'm going to fall off. But other than that, that was a gorgeous set. Abby, I'm with you. I did not notice the Horgon door openers that you're referring to. That is brilliant. I totally missed that. I have to go look at that. 
And same with me. Give me a railing for my staircase. (laughs) That would not work for me at all. And one more thing that people might want to keep their eyes open for is that um, later in the episode, when they share the bottle of Rysian wine, that wine bottle may be being produced by Star Trek wines. There was a vote going on about which version of the Ryzen wine bottle was going to be produced. And I don't know what the final result is. They haven't announced it yet, but I'm really hoping that I can buy this wine bottle to add to my collection of Star Trek wine bottles (laughs) because it's really very pretty. That would be amazing. Very cool. I hope that happens, Abby. Definitely add it to your awesome collection. (laughs) While I really do enjoy this plot of the episode, there are a couple things that stood out to me. One that struck me a little odd was when he started talking about his science officer, he didn't even mention that he was from a ship, like anybody could be on Ryza. And I thought that was a little odd. Do you know what I'm saying? It's a little hard for me to articulate that, but he kind of busted it out as an assumption that she would understand. And whereas Hoshi said to her, Paramore, you know, oh, I work on a starship. You know what I mean? That just struck me as a little odd. And the other part that just frustrates me about this plot is when we discover that she's a Tandaran and all of that. And that was very interesting, very interesting. Mm-hmm. And at the end, when she knocks him out and says, I can't have you interfering, it really implies that there's more to come, that there's another episode or more with the Tundarans, like, what is he interfering with? What is she talking about? I wanted so much more to know about that because I thought it was intriguing. Yeah, I completely agree. I always kind of hoped that at some point we would get to a deeper and more intricate part of the Temporal Cold War and the Tendarans would be a player. I mean, they have had dealings with the Suliban. We know this from previous episodes. They understand that there is a temporal component to the Suliban. So I always hoped that they would kind of come back and be a player in that. And maybe if we ever get a Temporal Cold War book series, TV series, audio drama, whatever, maybe they will. Because I think this is one of those threads that Modern Trek likes to to pick up. So maybe this will be one they pick up next. That would be awesome. And I want to comment on her uh, fingernail knockout drug. So I'm wondering, did Kayla (laughs) have this on her person the whole time? Like, did she just get it when she went up to get her sweater? Like, it seems if you were knowing that the end game was to get information and then get him out of the way, you'd have it with you all the time. But then maybe stepping on a rising sea turtle could have been really deadly or damaged it or knocked her out. I mean, it, it just seems like it, it's way too convenient. But, you know, she doesn't really have any pockets in any of those early 2000 abdomen bearing costumes. So, Maybe that's what it was. Very good point, Abby. I also have one last thought before we move into our next plot, which is when Archer calls down to Paul to ask that the bioscan be read. And she says, it doesn't sound like you're relaxing, Captain. <laughs> that's a great T'Pol line. It is a great T'Pol line. And, you know, follows in the history of many of our classic captains trying to take a vacation and getting involved in something even on Ryza. So good tradition there. That's true. So let's move on to the part of the episode that I find the hardest, the Malcolm and Trip plotline. First of all, I'm going to flat out state that this whole plotline is cringy to me. It does not age well. And 
even when it was on, I remember going, Ugh, these guys are better than this. Like we've seen, we've seen who they are. We, we watched shuttle pod one. We've watched trip have romantic encounters already. Like they're better than this. And while I am not at all shaming them or judging them for wanting to go down and have a more physical interlude, they're not smooth. Like they like to think they're smooth, but they're not smooth. And they were very surface level, which I guess if that's what you're looking for, that is the first thing that you would notice on somebody, but it gets rather homophobic and transphobic at times. I mean, this would not make air now. It just wouldn't. And that's just hard for me. And while I think that this was an important idea that even on this pleasure planet, there are, you know, seedy places. I mean, Archer warns everyone in the shuttle to, you know, watch themselves, take care of themselves, be smart. And that's important, but it just felt like this one really didn't work for me at all. And it just kind of leaves me with the feeling of, ugh. and that's, that's not what I'm used to from these two characters. And I don't feel like it was accurate to how they might have really been. I think Trip would have been much more polite. Like his, his Southern manners and upbringing are really going to rise a little bit there. I just don't think they would have been that informal. However, I really do like the things that are not part of the plot. The costumes are amazing. The music is fun. The sets, the lighting, the makeup, the hairstyles, everything else in this scene is just fun, except for the actual story. <laughs> so there's, there's my little downer part of this. What do you think? I'm right there with you. This is my least favorite part of the episode. It's very problematic to me. Also, let me start with, with the positives here. I agree. I'm not shaming them either. They're very clear in the shuttle what they're there for. And if that's what they're there for, no problem. As soon as they land the shuttle, notice how quickly they hit that club. Yep. <laughs> it's like next scene, boom, music. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, I agree with you. What really bothers me in this scene is the cringy and very difficult to watch and hear language around. Is that a man? Is that a woman? Well, if you think it's worth the risk, and yeah. then Malcolm, like, I should have brought my scanner. And then Tripp saying, now that's a she, or mm -hmm. Malcolm saying it. I mean, I hate to repeat the line, sorry, but I'm just trying to make a point that that is ugh, super cringy, definitely would not fly. I think it has not aged well, as you said. So I didn't care for that. Then they end up, you know, stuck down in the basement there for the whole next day and yeah, I hear you. They seemed out of character to me too. And how shall I say less mature than they normally are with the things like, well, you said you were the captain and you said you were the captain. Well, we switch off that that type of stuff. One thing I did like, though, was when they flew back at the end with no clothes. <laughs> <laughs> they were wearing um, the robes and the on slippers the from the hotel. <laughs> <laughs> yep. The robes and the slippers and the underwear. I did think it was interesting that nobody on the shuttle, I mean, they did joke around, but they weren't shamed there either. Like they basically just accepted it when Archer said, hey, looks like you had a good time there. I mean, they're mm -hmm. coming back with no uniforms. That's <laughs> a pretty big deal. Yeah. So I actually found that part endearing. I did like the banter between Trip and Malcolm in regards to, you think this is my fault and I should have checked the database and there's really no crime here. All of that. I mean, that kind of reminded me of Shuttle Pod 1, the, the trip Malcolm banter I was banter thinking part. the same thing. 
I did like that. But the problematic part of the subplot is just icky. It brings the episode down for me. So let's move on to the next one, unless you have more to share. Nope. Let's keep going. Okay. Hoshi. Let's talk about Hoshi. What are your thoughts? So one of the things that makes this possibly one of my favorite parts of the episode is that her entire first scene on the planet in the restaurant is completely in subtitles. Like everything. Mm -hmm. I I believe she does say, oh, one time, but that's more of just like a, a noise of surprise as opposed to a word. It's completely in subtitles. And that is so cool. And that is not something that you see a lot, especially not from TV of that era. And I thought it was really neat. And I really appreciate all of the actors in that scene who had to convey all the emotion and all of that in not just a different language, but a different made-up language. Sometimes, as in the case of Hoshi, multiple made-up languages. So I don't know Mm -hmm. how they learned those Mm -hmm. lines, but whatever it was, they did a really nice job of conveying so much in that scene while not speaking a single word of English. So that was kind of awesome. I agree with you. And I like the way if you look at the subtitles of the rice and language, the words for like good night, and I can't think of what the other words were I was thinking of, but they fit. Do you yes. know what I mean? Yes. Like whoever made up the language put thought into, it's not just gibberish. They, they put thought into this word sounding like this and this word sounding like, to me. And I thought that was cool. It was a beautiful language. And can I just say that I would like to, while I'm booking that villa on Risa, I would really like to attend the Festival of the Moons. Yes. Because that sounds really interesting. And let's talk about Ravis. I thought he was a sweet guy. I thought they were cute together. I had no issues with him. Definitely smooth the way he wove that kiss into it. (laughs) I'm not quite sure if I buy that he learned English in one day because I I understand that Hoshi can learn a language in a day because that's Hoshi. She's brilliant. People learning languages in one day, that's a lot to, to buy, but I will for the sake of the story. But I enjoyed them. I thought they were sweet. I thought Hoshi handled herself well, the way she, you know, communicated with him. When he first came up to her, you could tell she was slightly wary, like, hey, hello. I thought it was lovely. And I will say, talk about looking at attention to detail here. I don't know if you noticed these white sheets of his <gasps> with the chiffon little little circles in, in yes. them. It's in yes, my notes dots. that I have yeah. always coveted those sheets. Oh my gosh. I thought that it was a beautiful sheet set. So it's yes. in my notes too. Woohoo. <laughs> what are your thoughts on these two? I think this plot is sweet. I think it's a nice departure and a nice balance for the first two that we talked about and the one we haven't yet touched. It's It adds some mm-hmm. of that, that warmth and that heart to it. Is Ravi smooth? Yeah, he's smooth. He's the kind of smooth that Tripp and Malcolm wish they were. They they just they aspire <laughs> to be as smooth as he is, but it's not creepy smooth. It's just I no, not at all. I want you to know I'm interested. I think you're great. And he also is very, very polite. Like you can see a lot of parallels between him and Archer, how polite, respectful, always asking for permission before they take any you know step towards anything more. It's it's really nice to see. And his costume. OK, I might have to say that 
almost all the women in off-duty clothes on Risa show their abdomens. Thank you. It being the early 2000s. But his costume is exactly the opposite. He's got this cool, like, kimono looking wrap thing with a big belt. It's awesome. When you see he and Hoshi walk mm-hmm. away, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it's just and you'd barely see it because most of the time we see him either undressed or sitting down. But it is such a neat costume. And it makes me forgive them for the point that it really is just a strawberry that they're talking about and just a kiwi. <laughs> like, you know how much I love the food, but those ones I'm just like, really, it is a strawberry and a kiwi. It's not like a strawberry and a kiwi. <laughs> makes me laugh every time. Oh, you're funny. I totally agree with you. I enjoy this subplot. And I do want to clarify that when I mentioned his smoothness, I did not mean it in a creepy way. I meant it more in a, in a clever way of how he got that kiss. And I just thought it was kind of cute. So I'm, I'm cool with this subplot. And yay, Hoshi. Let's move on to our dear Dr. Phlox, who's trying to hibernate, poor guy. <laughs> What are your thoughts on Phlox and his hibernation? Well, I have to say that, first of all, I would like to call out that this is our last appearance of Crewman Cutler because the actress did pass away unexpectedly. They Mm. had plans to have her be a reoccurring character and those were stifled. So my respect there. But I have to say that this subplot with both Phlox and Travis and Travis, I mean, he does a lot of good face acting in this because for the most part, he's either hobbling or strapped down to a bio bed. But there's a lot of little subtle nuances there. And I love that Flax hibernates. I think that's such a cool thing. I think, man, that if I didn't have to sleep at night and I could just hibernate a few days a year, do you know how much I'd get done? Like, this is why he can have a full menagerie because <laughs> he can take care of them most days, 24-7. But uh I also liked how when Travis was told that Flox wasn't there because he was hibernating, Travis, our resident boomer, did not care that he was hibernating. It did not phase him that he was hibernating. It merely phased him (laughs) how long until I get to see him. And that's very subtle, but it's very important. Like, it wasn't like, oh, my God, he's hibernating. What's wrong with him? It was like, oh, when can I wake him up? And that's just that little difference and that level of respect that's just built into that, that you would probably glance over, but it, I think it meant a lot. And then once I noticed it, I was like, that is such a Travis thing. It's such a small thing, but it's such a Travis thing. Yes, definitely. And we have to talk about how John Billingsley just chews the scenery in his being woken up from hibernation scenes. He must have had (laughs) so much fun. And I cannot imagine how anyone around him kept a straight face while he was doing all this. You know, when he's like, I don't care what it tastes like. And he's got his face all scrunched and he's fallen over and he's laughing at standing up like this man can be so serious and can be so funny. And what a character moment for him. And I, I just absolutely love watching this. And I, as someone who wakes up sleepy kids on a regular basis, this this is not that far off from waking up a child <laughs> who's still mostly asleep. And it was it was just fun. I mean, this subplot is is the levity. I mean, Travis, I guess, is in mortal danger, but this is supposed to be some of the comic relief. And I think it works for the most part. We can hand wave away some of the inconsistencies and and little things because it's just fun. I agree with you. Totally. I'm going to wave away the inconsistency of we don't have EpiPens handy, but that's okay. 
John Billingsley is absolutely hilarious here. I agree with you. Brilliant. I, I laugh every time I see this. And you've probably seen, Abby, that there's some bloopers from this yeah. <laughs> where yeah. Jolene and Kelly are just cracking up because I wonder even if John did any ad-libbing here because sure. they cannot keep a straight face and trying to do this scene when he's waking mm -hmm. up. He's absolutely brilliant, and I love this part of the episode, and I'm sure a lot of people who love Enterprise love it, too. And another funny part that I love during this subplot is to Paul's quips when Travis says, have you ever been to an alien hospital? And she's like, yeah, the one in San Francisco. <laughs> Bam. Yeah. <laughs> That's just brilliant. Yeah. So... This is definitely one of my favorite parts of the episode, for sure. I like the quip she does, too, when they're about to wake up Flux and Cutler is whispering. And then she goes, you don't have to whisper. He's in a state of deep hibernation. <laughs> like, they're just funny. They're just funny. Oh, I love that, too. All right. So let's talk about the wrap up here. When everybody gets back on that shuttle, except Travis, who got his ride early and, uh, they're heading back. And I have to say that while there are some loose ends, like we talked about, I, I like this little ending. It almost feels like like the epilogue of a book. And I really enjoy how Archer asks everybody about their trip and gets some more details out. But he's pretty private on his own, even when Trip is telling him, oh, you know, you should get out more. He just smiles. He's not going into it. And a tiny little detail that I just loved was that Archer and Trip and Malcolm all had beard scruff on the way back because none of them took time or had the opportunity to shave. And it's one of those, again, tiny little details that is just perfect. Abby, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> we both thought of that. I was noticing Archer's beard scruff and nobody questioned it. Nobody asked him about his private business. He is nope. the captain, right? I... Love this scene. Also, there's, as I mentioned earlier, the nice banter. There's no judgment. There's some mystery. We have Hoshi's great quip there also. Yep. And a nice way. And I love that final shot of the shuttle pod heading to Enterprise with that yeah. zoom up. It was just a lovely way to end the episode. Pretty neat. I heard dogs barking, so that tells me it is time for our favorite parts of the episode. Melanie, let's start with you. What was your favorite part of this episode? Okay, my favorite part is actually a literal Porthos's pick this time because I am going to highlight Porthos for a moment. First, let me say when... Kayla's dog, Rilo, ended up on the balcony while Archer was pouring that drink. I'm still curious how the dog got there because that was a <laughs> big, big, big jump there. So I finally decided that in my head canon, she had some kind of Tandaran transporter technology. And that's how she got the dog up there. My favorite part is Porthos growling at Rilo and they're having that standoff. And you get that great close-up of Porthos's face. I think it's hilarious. And I realize it's probably just a dog thing, but maybe our insightful Porthos picked up on the fact that dog and owner were up to no good. Who knows? But I just love that. And when, then when Archer says Porthos, it just makes me smile every time. 
Oh, I agree. And I totally second that Porthos has a, a dog's sense that something is up here. So there's never too much Porthos, in my opinion. All right. For my Porthos pick this time, I don't think this is going to be a surprise to anybody, but I picked the copious and awesome amounts of food and drink in this episode. I mean, there were just example after example after example in the nightclub, all of the cocktails and they've got the little star fruit garnishes and they're different colors. And then that mean Hoshi eats multiple meals and we see all the fruits and we see some of the other things. Archer, Archer has fabulous meals in his quarters. Like his breakfast, I mean, it looked very much like a human breakfast. It had muffins and pastries and fruit plates, but it had these crazy green things with scoops of something. And I thought it was cottage cheese at first. We know they do that on Enterprise, but I couldn't even tell. But there was just so much glorious food and drink in this. And it was just fun to watch it. And I I love that Enterprise loves feeding their people because that is <laughs> it's, it's something we have to do every single day. I like seeing that as part of their routines more often than we did in some of the other series. Oh, I agree. There was some beautiful looking food in this one. And again, mm-hmm. when I book my trip to the Rise of Village, <laughs> I am going to wade out in the boat to that to a restaurant on the water because that sounded terrific. I wish they had kind of shown that. That would have been cool, but obviously they couldn't. But that sounded neat. And I'm with you. There was so much interesting food in this one. Accessing library computer data. So here on First Flight, we like to give you a little bit of trivia every week. Interesting things about each episode that we have dug up. So lots of interesting bits about this very interesting episode. Melanie, what did you find out for a trivia this week? Okay, here's what I found out. As we know, many of the TNG actors wanted to get some directing experience and went through director internship when they were on that show and became great directors in the franchise. And it turns out that Michael Dorn also directed some episodes But this is the only Enterprise episode that he directed, and it made me think of that he also was in the Risa episode on TNG, Let He Who Is Without Sin. Mm -hmm. So Michael Dorn has a Risa connection, and very cool that he had an opportunity to direct an Enterprise episode. I love that Star Trek takes care of its own and grows directors from inside. That's fantastic, and I hope it's something that they continue to do throughout all the years that Star Trek is on because they get some people who really love the show and you can see it when they direct. So bravo to Michael Dorn. All right. I have two quick trivias for this episode. The first is that this is actually an award winning episode. It won a 2002 Emmy award in the category of outstanding hairstyling for a series. It was totally deserved. And once I found this trivia and looked back, I mean, there, it was not just Kayla's hair, which was pretty amazing. If you look at the background, everybody's hair in this is amazing. So it was a well-deserved win. That's great to hear because Enterprise certainly deserved a whole lot more Emmys than it got. So anyone that it gets, we have to highlight. Congratulations for the outstanding hairstyling. And I agree, Kayla's hairstyle, especially in that second meeting with Jonathan when she had it all curly-cued, was pretty, pretty beautiful. 
All right. And my second bit of trivia is about the two dogs. And I couldn't let this one go because, as everyone knows, we love Porthos. So the two dogs in this episode who play Porthos and Rilo, who are actually named Prada and Tibbis, actually had worked together before as spy partners in the movie Cats and Dogs, which I have personally not seen. And it was also this episode was Prada's last episode before Breezy, who was the stand in for Prada, became the more spunky Porthos and took over the role completely from that time on. So this this growl was a swan song. Oh, I think it's so cool, Abby, that those two dogs worked together before. That is awesome trivia. And also so interesting that there were a variety of Porthoses to play the part of Porthos. And from my understanding, I think most of them were female. Have you heard that? Yes. Transfer of data is complete. All right. We have come to the time where we are giving our Vulcan's verdict on a scale of one to 10 grapplers. We're going to rate this episode. And I think I'm going to go first on this one. And I'm going to say that This one has good moments. And out of the four plots, there's one that I really dislike, one that I just ache for resolution that never comes, and two that I like. But there are parts in the ones that I didn't like as much that were still fantastic. So it was a little bit better than half and half for me. And I really do like that those beginning and resolution bookmarks of them in the shuttle that kind of see our crew in a little bit more of a a low key fashion. So this one got a six out of 10 grapplers for me this time. Melanie, how about you? Okay. I struggled with this one, Abby, because like you, I do enjoy some of it. I enjoy the Hoshi storyline. And I like the Archer storyline also. And of course, the flocks parts are brilliant, which bring the episode up. But the Malcolm and Tripp part that both of us are uncomfortable with brings the episode down. So I've been debating between a six and a six and a half. And I am settling on six and a half out of ten grapplers. My chronometer is running backwards, sir. Incoming transmission. You read my letter? All right. We have reached the time where we get to hear from you guys. And I have to say, I love we've been getting some really fun feedback from everybody and especially about our episode Fallen Hero. So I have two from some of our regular contributors here. First one is from Eve England. She's at Eve England on Twitter. She said, my Porthos pick is when Trip asks Malcolm if he enjoys people shooting at them. And his response, if you must know, I much prefer the shooting back part. Classic read moment. And you know what, Eve, I can't agree <laughs> with you more. Those are those little character moments that Enterprise is just so good at. And our second one is from Michael at Michael Angie on Twitter. And he said, Seeing this tweet, I rewatched Fallen Hero, a really solid, enjoyable episode of Star Trek with a great guest star and a little moment reminding me of partly why I love Hoshi. She's chatting with Valar, friendly and non-judgmental. Enterprise is so great on these character moments. And there, Michael says it again. That's exactly one of the reasons that we all love this show. Couldn't have said it better, guys. I agree. Thank you so much, Eve and Michael. And if you'd like to continue the discussion with us or share your Porthos pick, grappler ratings, or thoughts, you can reach us at First Flight Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Melanie, what's the best way to get you? You can reach me on Twitter at ShuttlePod2. 
That's T-W-O. And you can find me personally on Twitter at Abby M. Summer. That's S-O-M-M-E-R. We want to thank you so very much for spending this time with us. We'll be back next time with the cliffhanger finale of season one, Shockwave part one. End of the season already, hard to believe. And as always, we leave you with this quote from Captain Jonathan Archer. The most profound discoveries are not necessarily beyond that next star. They're within us woven into the threads that bind us, all of us, to each other.